The Tiger Tamer Who Went to Sea from History Extra charts the life of a remarkable Victorian, Britain's original long-distance wheelbarrow pedestrian. New episodes are out every Thursday or listen to the whole series immediately ad-free by subscribing to History Extra Plus on Apple Podcasts or listening on historyextra.com. Decimus told Caesar, Boss, you've got nothing to worry about. I've got my gladiators here. What better security could there possibly be? And yet, Caesar hesitated, and he decided not to go to the Senate meeting on the infamous morning of the Ides of March. The most famous assassination in history, the murder of the most famous Roman in history, almost never happened. As the dozens of conspirators gathered at the Senate House of Pompey, daggers concealed within their togas, one man was missing. Julius Caesar. Welcome to Caesar, Death of a Dictator, from History Extra. Over the course of six episodes, we'll be exploring Caesar's rise and fall, and revealing how a desperate attempt to save the Roman Republic instead resulted in its destruction. Now, let's return to the Ides of March. This will be Roman dictator Julius Caesar's last Senate meeting before he embarks on a major military expedition to the east. If his enemies want to bring down a man they believe has become a dangerous tyrant, then they have to strike now. But on the morning of the 15th of March, 44 BC, Julius Caesar hesitates. And well he might do, because he's had several warnings that danger is heading his way one of which will go down in legend. The actual warning that Caesar got was to beware the month that ended at the Ides of March, and he got it from an Etruscan soothsayer named Spirina. The Romans were famously superstitious people, and they believed in omens, and they believed in telling the future in a variety of ways. They also thought the Etruscans were particularly good at this. But Spirina was also somebody who was very politically attuned and had his ear to the wind. So when a warning came from someone like Spirina, Caesar might have thought, this is not just some guy who is reading the entrails, but it's somebody who is well-connected. And if he says there's a plot to be aware of, that may mean something. So, yes, there, there were warnings. And Caesar's wife was particularly concerned. She was a political wife. She, too, had her ear to the wind. And she was urging Caesar to take his security more seriously than he did. That's the voice of Barry Strauss. He's a classical historian at Cornell University and the author of The Death of Caesar, the story of history's most famous assassination. He's going to be our chief guide for the events of the Ides of March, and as he's just explained, Caesar has good reason to take precautions on that fateful day. He decides to remain at his mansion and send one of his key political allies, Mark Antony, who we'll hear much more about later, to dismiss the meeting. But then he receives a visitor, Decimus Junius Brutus Albinus, who we'll refer to as Decimus from now on. Decimus is another of Caesar's closest allies and has spent the previous evening in the dictator's company. But he is also planning to murder him. That previous night, he tried to persuade Caesar to attend the meeting, but to no avail. Now he has one last chance to change the course of Roman history. The conspirators found out to their horror that Caesar had cancelled his appearance. He wasn't coming. And so they sent Decimus to speak to Caesar and to convince him to come. 
Now, Caesar had decided not to come because he gave in to his wife. She was absolutely convinced this was disastrous and begged him not to go to the meeting. And he said, all right, I won't go. And the conspirators sent Decimus. They said, you're the guy who convinced Caesar to actually come. And so Decimus hurried across Rome to convince Caesar to go to the meeting. What did he say to Caesar? Well, of course, we don't know. We weren't there. And Caesar wasn't talking afterwards. But the sources claim uh, that he basically made it a macho thing. He said to Caesar, do you really want the people of Rome to think that you are so afraid that you give in to a woman? Isn't it womanish of you not to go to the meeting? And Caesar, we're told, said, all right, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go because of this. So that's why he went to the meeting. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Daylight saving time is once again upon us, as is the debate about whether it's truly needed or not. But if you're hiring, it really doesn't matter, because even though it may feel as if your day is longer, it won't help you find qualified candidates any sooner. There's only one way to do that. ZipRecruiter. Once you post your job, ZipRecruiter sends it to 100 plus job sites and then uses smart technology to find people with the skills and experience to match the position. So spring forward with ZipRecruiter. Four out of five employers get a quality candidate within the first day. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com extra. That's ZipRecruiter.com extra. On a litter carried by slaves, Caesar slowly makes his way across Rome to the Senate House of Pompey, a venue that, perhaps fittingly, is named after one of his greatest rivals. As he traverses the streets, Caesar is mobbed by crowds of people, and it is likely almost the middle of the day when he finally reaches his destination. Inside the building, there are probably between 200 and 300 senators, around 60 of whom are members of the conspiracy. Among them are some of the heavyweights of the Roman elite, including the military hero Gaius Cassius Longinus, and a man whose name will become a byword for betrayal, Marcus Junius Brutus. The senators rise to greet Caesar as he enters the chamber, Looking resplendent in a toga embroidered with gold, he takes his seat on a golden chair. The event takes place in the Senate House of Pompey, so we should think of a long room with benches on either side. So more like the House of Commons than the American House of Representatives. It's often depicted in paintings as a semicircle, but it wasn't. It was more of a rectangle. And Caesar sat on a podium at the far end. Now, the conspirators, they were military men, and they had very carefully uh, planned this before it actually happened. They choreographed it. They knew what to expect. And one of the things that they did was they very carefully made sure that the other consul, Mark Antony, was not in attendance. They kept him outside the door of the Senate House. He was buttonholed by an old comrade, a man named Trebonius, who had actually fought beside Antony at the climactic battle of the Gallic War, the siege of Alasia. So this was a man whom Antony trusted. The conspirators also made sure that their men were in strategic positions inside the Senate House. Now, it had to occur to them that if they could smuggle daggers in, so could Caesar's supporters. They could smuggle daggers in as well, so they had to be prepared for that. So the conspirators surrounded Caesar in kind of a semicircle to cut him off on the podium before they did the deed, and they petitioned him. 
they were asking him for mercy in terms of allowing one of his opponents in the Civil War to return to Rome. So we have to imagine Caesar sitting on this podium, and it seems to be an ordinary meeting of the Senate to him. He doesn't suspect anything. Suddenly, one of his supposed friends, a man named Kimber, a soldier who had a reputation for being bit of a, a bit of a wild man and a heavy drinker, suddenly he pulls down Caesar's toga from his shoulders. And Caesar says, this is violence. What's going on here? And then the conspirators strike. The first blow was struck by a man named Publius Casca, and we're told that he strikes Caesar on the neck and tries to kill him there, but fails to do so. Caesar, by the way, is, it's March, it's beginning of spring in Rome, it's not very warm out. Caesar's probably wearing a winter toga, which would be woolen, and it's not easy to take a dagger and stab someone through a woolen toga. In fact, it's not easy to kill someone with a dagger at all. If you are a hardened criminal and a hardened killer, then yes, you can do it. But even if you're an ordinary Roman soldier, kind of a big deal to take a dagger and stab someone with it. So it's not an easy thing to do. So Casca's blow does not kill Caesar. And now the other conspirators strike surrounding him. Probably what now happens takes no longer than a minute or so. There are these men pulling out their daggers and striking him. Most of the senators, if they even see what's going on, are completely horrified and terrified. What's going to happen to them? What is going on? What is the meaning of this? But the chief conspirators are taking out their daggers and striking Caesar. Two of Caesar's loyalists, a man named Calvisius and a man named Censorinus, get up and they try to rush to the front to save Caesar. But they can't break through the circle of conspirators who are surrounding him. Caesar gets up, he tries to defend himself, and he says something. Okay, let's pause a little here. What does Caesar say? Is he about to utter one of the most iconic lines in literary history? Let's get Barry's take on this. We get different stories from the sources. I agree with the sources that say he probably just groaned or grunted. Uh, He may have taken a stylus a writing utensil, and stab one of the conspirators. One of the reports says this. Caesar was a military man, and he was used to dealing with emergencies, and he might have kept his head. The ancient sources report that there are other sources that say that Caesar said something. They reject this. They don't think he really said something, but they report what he said. What did he say? He didn't say, et tu brute. The famous statement in Shakespeare is not something that any of the ancient sources say that Caesar said. That was invented in the Renaissance. You too, Brutus, then die Caesar because of this betrayal by Marcus Brutus. However, the sources that the better sources reject say that he did address something to Brutus when Brutus pulled out his dagger. He said something in Greek, and what he said was, Kai su technon, you too, child. So what's that all about? There are three possibilities. One is that this is part of a line of a Greek 
tragedy that Caesar was quoting, indicating how educated and cultivated he was. It would be as if an English-speaking politician who was being assassinated should suddenly say a line in French. That would be the valence of that. Second possibility is ancient curse tablets, and the Romans believed in curse tablets. You would get an inscribed tablet against one of your enemies, and you would have it buried. The typical thing to say on a curse tablet is Kai Su, you too, and this is what should happen to you, as bad things have happened to me. The third possibility, and the most delicious, is that the key word here is not Kai Su, but Technon, child. You too, child. Now, I have to go back a step. When Caesar was young, he had an affair with one of the most prominent women in Rome. He had an affair with Servilia, a Roman noble. Who was Servilia? Servilia was the half-sister of Caesar's arch enemy, Cato the Younger, and she was supposed to be the greatest love of Caesar's life. So much a love that Caesar bought her a pearl that was worth a king's ransom. She also happened to be the mother of Brutus. And there was a rumor that Caesar was the natural father of Brutus, and then Brutus was, not to put a fine point on it, a bastard, that he was Caesar's love child. It's unlikely because Caesar was 15 at the time that Brutus was born, but it is not 100% impossible because the Romans started young. So the idea is that by saying to Brutus, you too, child, Caesar was confirming the rumor and saying, in effect, you're my son and you have just killed your father. You have committed parricide, which is the most heinous crime that a Roman could commit. It's really a little bit hard to believe that as his life is ebbing before him, Caesar has the presence of mind to say this vicious thing to one of his assassins. More likely, I think he was just groaning. Caesar is dying. In a moment that seems like it could have been scripted in Hollywood, Rome's leader falls at the foot of the statue of his great enemy, Pompey. The assassins have achieved their goal. Questions remain, though, about quite how many of the conspirators have played an active part in the killing. Our best sources say that he'd been stabbed 23 times. Another source claims he had been stabbed 35 times. Our best sources make it clear that he wasn't stabbed by all the conspirators because 60-some-odd conspirators, only 23 wounds. Another source claims that every conspirator made sure that he has stabbed Caesar, whether uh, alive or dead. It's the kind of event that, understandably, there'd be a lot of differences, a lot of different stories told at the time afterwards. And meanwhile, as Caesar's blood is flowing... What is the reaction of those other senators not involved in the murder? They run. They run like crazy. The conspirators had been planning to give great speeches, saying this is the day of liberty. We have killed the tyrant. They don't have much of an audience because everyone else in the Senate House is scrambled out of there, you know, afraid of their own lives. Rome's leading man has been murdered. The conspirators have achieved their aim but the battle for Rome has only just begun. Will the assassins be able to restore the Republic, or will events spiral out of their control? Earlier in the conspiracy, as the assassins were making their plans to kill Caesar, they also considered whether another man should die alongside him. Ultimately, they decided to let him live. That man was Mark Antony. Now that Caesar has been killed, will his most powerful ally spare the men who'd chosen to spare him? Next time on Caesar, Death of a Dictator, 
we'll be heading back half a century to tell the story of Julius Caesar's path to power. How did he rise to become the dominant figure of the mighty Roman Republic? And what friends and enemies would he make on his journey to the summit? Thanks to my expert for this episode, Professor Barry Strauss of Cornell University, the author of The Death of Caesar, the story of history's most famous assassination. This podcast was written and presented by me, Rob Attar, with additional checks by Rob Blackmore and our podcast editor, Ellie Cawthorn. The producer was Jack Bateman. Jack Bateman.